hunchback who was supposed to go to America. She was supposed to travel in February. To go. And she was being resettled. No. She's Syrian. That's amazing. And, well, it was she, amazing. She's still here. No. Oh, she, oh Trump. I know. You're getting hit on all, all different levels. Hands. Yeah. Really? So, she was all ready to go. And she then, was ready to go. Like she, a week before or something crazy. Yeah. And the worst thing was, the way we felt really bad is, we thought she was you know, traveling at the beginning of February, so we replaced her. And then she found out she wasn't traveling, and now all of a sudden she doesn't have a job. She's pulled the kids out of school. Her husband doesn't have a job. We're like, I can't imagine these people who have given up everything because they think they're going, and then they're not. Um, <sighs> that breaks my heart. Put together some numbers for what it would cost to add her back to our team, um, and we fundraise that now. That's we did awesome. a big Facebook push, and that was really cool. We gave yeah. one Syrian woman back her job, but I don't know how else we fight back against all that. Hello there. Welcome back to the Working a Refugee Crisis Jordan podcast. This is episode two with Maddie Ulano of Reclaim Childhood. I actually thought it was pronounced Maddie Ulano or Ulanao until I uh, met with her. <laughs> so uh, I think that. Yulano, uh, Yulano is correct. Anyways, um, if you haven't yet listened to the first episode, if you're skipping ahead, uh, please go back. It's a great one with Matt Richard um, of UNHCR. Um, I also we also posted a six-minute intro um, episode at the beginning that discusses what the podcast is about, the kind of people are going to be talking to, um, and my background a little bit and why I was interested in doing this. So I'm your host, Colin Campbell, once again, and um, really appreciate your support for this uh, little idea that just, just started out here in Amman, Jordan. So Maddie is an awesome person, first and foremost, that's important to know. Um, we met through Ultimate Frisbee um, Connections, as I mentioned in the past, I help run the Ultimate Frisbee Club here in Jordan. We have pickups every Tuesday night. We also run some hat tournaments. Uh, we had our first league this spring, and we have lots of Jordanians now playing, a lot of expats as well from all over the world. Uh, but Jordanians, uh, men and women, some Syri Syrians, Palestinians, um, and a whole variety of awesome people, and the, and the club is really growing. We hosted a huge MENA tournament, actually, back in November. So Maddie has come, and now she's actually sending... Um, we, we get into it a little bit in the interview, but she's, uh, she has been sending some of her trainers, um, so, so Syrian refugee women, um, I think they're all Syrian refugee women, maybe some Jordanians as well, uh, to come and learn the, the game of Ultimate and, um, and play, and then we are going to send some of our players to help train them uh, how to teach the refugee girls um, how to play Ultimate. Um, and they, her organization uses sports um, as a tool for social cohesion and um, psychosocial <laughs> trauma. I mean, no, those, those are some of the issues they, they deal with, but basically it's, it's an avenue for, for refugee girls who, um, who, honestly, it's fascinating. I mean, some have never been able to play sport before, never been allowed to. You know, they, they aren't supposed to play with boys. Um, so the, their programming is actually all women that do the uh, sessions. Um, and so they're allowed to play in sports gear. And it's just a really cool um, organization and uh, motto, and it's you know they're small, especially compared to my last interview with UNHCR, which has I think it was was it eight nine thousand employees or ninety thousand. <laughs> Go back to the last interview. And this is obviously a smaller, much much smaller organization, but um, I love what they represent, and um, and this podcast is about showing the diversity of programs um, and the important impacts. Uh, Maddie and I also get into, you know, talking about USA a little bit, um, funding issues and cuts um, even that will even potentially affect them uh, from the U.S. Embassy here in Jordan, and uh, talk about life, life living in Jordan, talk about traffic a little bit in Amman, and all kinds of things, um, and talk about her experience and how she got into the field and what inspired her and what interested her. So it's a really great interview. Um, she's an awesome person. We're excited to be working with her and her um, trainers and with, with Reclaim Childhood with Amon Ultimate. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, please subscribe and share, you know, share this podcast link to your friends and family and uh, enjoy the interview with Maddie Ulanau of, Ulanau, Ulanau of Reclaim Childhood.
this is the whole this is how it works. Oh, no. Start talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was coming from Webb and I took the wrong turn at the bottom of the hill. And I was like, whatever, I'll turn around at second circle, and that is where I went wrong. Oh, you had to, yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. If, if I like living in this part of town and you know, Jalaman for a circle, but it gets a little crazy, and sometimes people try to visit, and yeah. and and it's even in the middle of the day, you'd think it'd be, you know, like who's around here, but this is area of town gets gets nuts and stuff. It's actually, actually, I think it was the school living out right by first circle. Right? Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. All the kids, the kids everywhere in the streets and stuff. What um? So you actually, you guys have classes today and stuff, or? Yeah. So we run. Athletic practices five days a week, and then Saturdays, and they're in the evenings. We run after-school practices. Um, the founders of Reclaim Childhood had it in. Their oh, heads. so that's who you work for. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, I, no, Reclaim no. Child. Okay, yeah. So let's start. No, it's fine. I didn't. Oh, let me back so, up. Uh, back so up. yeah, what is your name, and who do you work for, and what is your role for the organization? We'll start with that. Yeah. So um, my name is Maddie Yulano. I work for Reclaim Childhood. Okay. Uh, Reclaim Childhood provides athletic practices and opportunities for at-risk and refugee girls ages 6 to 18 and for community mentors ages 22 plus. Um, and what that means essentially is we run after-school uh, athletics practices for them during the year and then our flagship summer camp over the summer. And the founders of Reclaim Childhood were three young uh, varsity athletes from Williams College in the States. Good school. And Good school. I definitely could not have gotten in there. But um, I, a lot of I went to boarding school. A lot of my a lot of kids in my year went to Williams and Amherst and Middlebury. That whole yeah, that whole crew uh, trifecta. Yeah. Um, the three founders wanted to establish as close to what amounted to after school practice for these kids as possible. Uh, the idea being, I mean, I grew up um, playing sports, mostly baseball. Um, yeah, we'll get we'll get to your background. <laughs> That's definitely part of this. No, but I grew up playing sports, and I remember how important it was to walk to practice after school and be with my teammates and have my physical outlet. So we wanted to establish that for refugee kids in Jordan. Um, the way it works is because after school means, you know, for the Syrian kids on the late school shift can mean 5 p.m. So we'll start a practice at 5.30. They come by bus from school in their uniforms. Um, not everyone goes to school till 5.30, till 5.00, so um, some kids will come from home, but all ready to play. Um, and gotta be ready to play. Gotta be ready to play. We do basketball with them. Yep. Right now we're doing basketball. In the past we've done soccer. Uh, in the fall we usually do soccer. When the weather gets cold in winter, we move indoors and play basketball. Um, and in the future you're going to add... Well, we're excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, this spring, now that it's warm, we're excited to get them started on Frisbee. Boom! Yeah. Ultimate Frisbee. That's what I'm talking about. Bringing yeah. that to the rip. So we had how we actually met. Mm-hmm. Microphone. <laughs> um, through ultimate, through Amon Ultimate pickup. I, th- I think so. Maybe actually met through. Is that way we met or we met through I friends? I think it was through. Amon but then you were coming ultimate. to that, yeah. and then other mutual friends and mm-hmm. parties and stuff and mm-hmm. expats. But um, and then you came to me about you know getting involved with Ultimate and some of your trainers, and we'll, we'll come back to that a little bit. Yeah. Later. But that's um, it's really cool. I love the mix of sports mm-hmm. too. Um, and variety and giving kids options because and seeing what they like you know and yeah. not forcing them into just soccer or whatever it is or just just that you know yeah it would be easy to fit into just soccer because that's what people know right. um, but we see some really talented basketball players too um some kids who just pick up a ball and most of these kids have never played before yeah so you give them a ball and they get super excited but then past that initial extreme excitement some really talented kids um it's really fun to see not just at basketball but at soccer hopefully at frisbee yeah, frisbee can be a little bit harder because you know if the disc drops, then it kind of point you know changes the other team. Um, but it's also really good practice on catching and, and teamwork and spatially, and it's very positive. Sport, and it's you know? very cardio heavy, yeah, which is good for them. They need their exercise. I've had frisbee sold to me as a good sport for at risk kids. Mm-hmm. Um, in that conflict for a, negotiation, a yeah, conflict mm-hmm. negotiation. Because, because yeah. you know why that is? Why is that? Because we do not have referees, <laughs> except at the top level. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's part of the sport is like calling a foul, and that person can test it, and you discuss mm-hmm. it if you need to. And yeah, that's yeah, and the spirit of the game is important, and that's mm-hmm. good for the kids. Um, also, boys and girls usually at this age come in on equal footing. Right. Um, we find the girls. You know, boys have been playing in the streets since they were four. Playing like soccer, playing yeah. soccer in the streets since they were four. Um, so the girls will tell us, well, the boys are good at it when really just the boys have been playing longer. Right. Yeah. Totally. But with frisbee, we're all on the same page. The boys yeah. are ju- on the same page as the girls. Uh, it's a good place for them all to start. Yeah, I never really thought about that's interesting, and then it's equalizer kind of. 
All right, so let's we'll come back a little bit more to the details of the program, but I want to kind of start off with you. Um, so how long have you been living in the Middle East? I've been here for about a year and a half. In Jordan? In Jordan. This is your first time? This is my first time living in Jordan. Abroad? Living I lived for three months in Jerusalem before oh, this. Excellent. Right before this or in the past? Uh, no, in the past uh, for a summer in college. And what? Uh, where are you from, the States? And... I'm from Washington, D.C. Okay, that's yeah. <laughs> so. If I end up moving there, yeah. no wonder you took an interest. That it's, <laughs> that yeah, I'm a fan of the DC area. I from the city or from? No, from uh, Rockville, Maryland. Oh, yeah. excellent. Yes, yeah. I've heard good things about the Rock. Rockville. Rockville. Yeah, yeah. I've heard good. Yeah, I've heard of it. Um, so, I guess starting off at a young age, uh, mm-hmm. you started playing sports and, and stuff. What what interested you in this in this type of work and development work and and sports and living abroad and all that? Where did that start? Mm-hmm. Tell me tell me your personal story. <laughs> well, as with a lot of people I'm sure you'll interview, things just kind of <laughs> happen. I uh, misspread the world and t- to me, for me. Um, I came here after I graduated off Fulbright teaching assistantship. Cool. Where did um, you, you go? Uh, UNRWA. Um, oh. So I was teaching at uh, UNRWA, UN Relief and Works Agency, um, cool. a high school for girls. Oh, here. Here, in Amman. Oh, okay. yeah. But where did you start? When did you, where did you, go, did you go to college in the States for yeah, development yeah. work? or uh, No, I went to college for political science um, oh, cool. in Arabic. Oh, and okay. So you studied Arabic. Where did you go? Uh, Carleton College in Minnesota. Carleton. Yeah. In school? In the realm of small colleges. Um, yeah. Great yeah. school. And so that's, is that, that's, you had an interest in the Middle East from the beginning? Yeah, I started taking Arabic my first year of College. Well, I started taking Arabic really the summer before. I had a scholarship, a State Department scholarship, the National Security Language Initiative for Youth. Before um, college. Before college, mm-hmm. yeah. It's for youth 18 and under um, mm-hmm. to study uh, national security languages. So Miss Lee Y does programs for Arabic, Chinese, Farsi, Russian, uh, and Korea and Turkish, Korean and Turkish. Okay. Um, for kids ages 14 to 18 to spend six to eight weeks overseas. Uh, it's a really cool program. That's awesome. That was after your senior year? Or? Yeah, it was right after my senior year, but most of the kids on the program were juniors, seniors in high school. How'd um, you find that? I mean, I don't remember. Was, like, was that like, did you seek it out or did the teacher recommend or something? No, I don't remember. I think um, I saw a poster for it at school and I was really interested in, of the languages offered, Arabic. Mm-hmm. Um, I speak Hebrew. I know that they're related. Um, mm. I thought it would be easy. I thought it would be cool. You learned Hebrew growing up? Or? Yeah, I went to um, a Jewish K-8 through school. Mm. Um, so I thought that Arabic was a cool next step. I thought it was a window into a culture I didn't really understand. I had no idea how much of a window, but I thought it would be a cool window. <laughs> I hear that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the language is tied to the culture. Um, and it is, and it is... I've had conversations in Arabic I never would have been able to have in English, and that's really special. Um, but yeah, that, and that's a really, Misley was a really cool program, and keep an eye on it. Where'd you go sure, for the six weeks? Uh, Morocco. Oh, cool. So we're bought, but keep an eye oh. on it because it's supposed to get cut. Um, that program? All the, all the State Department funding was getting cut. This program, yeah. that the reason you started off in this type of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, and, that's, late, that, that's later on my, that's my list to get to, <laughs> but man... And, and it's, it's, it's a great program, and I can speak to the... I studied in Morocco for six weeks with 25 kids, and I'm in touch with the majority of them. We're all still doing Arabic. We're all still in the region. It's so formative when you're that young to have that kind of opportunity that was 100% paid for. Um, oh, the State Department yeah. paid for um, an that intensive Arabic. Cool. We weren't, you know, chilling on the beach in Morocco. Yeah. Um, and everyone's still doing Arabic. Everybody is still and then you, in the region. Wait, did you, yeah. like, tour the country as well? I mean, did they find other types of political learning or training or, or, or just cultural? Cultural. We would go on weekends um, to other Moroccan cities. It was very, like, low-key, though. The purpose of the trip was not to was, be exploring Morocco. It was, I mean, we got to go to Fez. We got to go to Tangier. But so cool, right? We, Fez yeah, is amazing. Yeah. Fez is so cool. Yeah. Have you been to Morocco? Have you yeah, yeah. There? We went with my family, actually. Um, don't want to talk about myself too much. But, um, yeah, we went for Christmas two years ago. My dad had gone um, in 1971, wow. I believe. So we went in 2015. Can't keep it off straight. Fifteen, yeah, 2015. So it was like 44 years later or something, and so a lot has changed. So it was interesting. He had you know traveled. Was he able to around. comment for you on what had changed? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, he didn't have, you know could remember everything, but it was just really cool. And he always wanted to go back, and so we actually did Barcelona and then Morocco. We we got really lucky. He had a Moroccan friend in New York, and so we had this mm-hmm. driver that was a friend of family, 
and so we had you know because we had a bunch of us and uh, my wife was, was pregnant at the time Tara um, um, and we yeah we did Fez and then drove through the Atlas Mountains and to Marrakesh and um, and then ended in and started in, in Casablanca my parents went to Rabat for a day but Fez blew my mind B- both Fez and Marrakesh were really cool but Fez blew my mind just really pretty cities Morocco's so pretty yeah and to go back. we stayed in like yeah. an amazing beautiful Riyadh you know right in the city that you're going down this back alley and you're like yeah. it's this place where is this going to be and then it's just so nice once you get inside and then you have to have the tour guide in Fez because literally you know the um, the souk or whatever the old city right. what's the term for it in Arabic um, the souk yeah uh, if you don't have a guide you'll get lost Right. So I bought a really, really nice leather bag for a really good price. And, um, yeah, that was really cool. And that was my first time, um, you know, I, we had moved to Beirut, um, like, five months before or something. My wife and I, but, but I only knew Lebanon. I had, you know, had, I guess I'd been Oman, but it's, Morocco's its own thing, you know. And then the, the, the Spanish and the European influence and the, the French influence as well. It's uh, really cool. And the food. Oh, yeah. it's incredible. Anyways, okay. That was a beautiful, beautiful country. I was really yeah. lucky to. That was my first experience living overseas. So, yeah. and I was, you know, seventeen. Yeah, it was crazy. So I would cool. Recommend to anyone. So then you went into college with that in mind, like yeah. that type of work. Okay, I want to keep my Arabic going. Yeah. Okay. Did you study it all abroad at all in college? Uh, yeah, I came here to Jordan. Oh, okay. Um, for three months at the University of Jordan. Cool. How did you like that? Um, I think living here, and I don't know how much you want to talk about this, living here as an adult, as a development worker, is really different than being a student at the university, and I'm much happier this way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, but it was, but it teased you enough. I mean, you, yeah. you liked it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that, that makes sense. I mean, um, mm-hmm. and then um, what did you, so you graduated and then immediately started, like, looking for jobs, or how do you get into this uh field um, you I got, connections? <laughs> no I got lucky I applied so I applied for Fulbright in the fall of my senior year um, I didn't hear until May there were ongoing security concerns and I kept pushing back program notifications so I was in a place for Fulbright which is another great program yeah. um, for people interested in the region uh, getting their feet wet in the region um, they notify you in January if you're still being considered or not about 50% of people are still being considered okay. So I knew I was being considered, but that's by no means an acceptance, and it was dragging on until May, and I was looking at other jobs, and I turned one down, so really just pulling for Fulbright to come through, Yeah. Uh, and it did, which was awesome. In um, May, as in you're May. about to graduate. Yeah, so <laughs> okay. it all came through about a week before graduation, um, all right. and Fulbright was really great for me because I taught, so I was an English teacher, Fulbright has lots of different kinds of grants, um, I was on a teaching grant. Um, and I taught a lot in college. I taught a lot of ESL in college. So Fulbright oh, okay. was great in that I got to keep teaching English as a second language. But I also got to travel to Jordan, which I was interested in. And Fulbright also gives you a stipend to continue your Arabic language, which I was interested in. How good so was your Arabic at this point? Uh, it was passable, but lacking. Carleton, yeah. where I went to school, only offered uh, two years of Arabic. Okay. So I was a little rusty. And, I mean, you got to live in the region and speak with people to really imagine right. Like any language, you know, to yeah. that helps a lot. So yeah. So that, so that, so then you got the Fulbright, and then that came with the job, or um, yes. Yeah, so then for the teachers, and again, it's different. There's research fellowships where Fulbright funds PhD research, and there's um, professor or scholar Fulbrights where they pay for exchange between U.S. and Jordanian universities. Uh, but for the teachers, um, for the teachers, we um, come into Jordan with just like a little. All different levels of teaching experience. I don't have a degree in teaching. I had a minor in education in college, but we had um, in our cohort some experienced teachers, people with masters in education, um, and then they place you in a school. So most of the placements were universities. Mine uh, was a UN high school. Oh, okay. You said, and yeah. where in here in in, in uh, Hashmi Shmali in Hash- Amman. Yeah. I've heard that term many times. I never can say it right. <laughs> but I don't, yeah, it's in the northern part of Amman? Or where it's it? East Amman. Oh, okay. Um, between, like, Jebel Hussein and Marka. Oh, okay. Okay. I've got, yeah. All right. And what was that experience like? Um, It was crazy. I would not <laughs> trade it for anything. So it was an all... It was all... All girls. Oh, all girls. And, and Jordanians or refugees? UNRWA serves exclusively Palestinians. Oh, right. Oh, UNRWA, so, right. Of course. Yeah. Um, HCR serves other refugee populations right. in Jordan, but UNRWA is just for Palestinians. So 
My school was all Palestinian girls. Um, and they're all, they don't have citizenship or anything, I assume. I, mean, I think a lot of them did oh, okay. have Jordanian citizenship. But it's some mistake. are still refugees here. I mean, I mean, they're all refugees. Yeah. They're all registered refugees if they're attending an UNRWA school. Oh, okay. Um, but some oh, of them have citizenship, some don't. It's kind of a mixed bag. Uh, yeah. I never had a conversation with a student about her citizenship status. Right. But they identify as Palestinians. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they should. Um, so, yeah, so you're, how many kids, what was that like? I mean, <laughs> and you're right out of college, and you're thrust into uh, I really don't think that someone with a master's in education would have done better at UNRWA. If anything, they might have been more frustrated. If you know how a school should, should be running, if yeah. you know how a classroom should be functioning. Um, that might, it was good to be out of college and bright-eyed and ready to try anything. Um, Are they just really, like, rambunctious or because of the, the issues in the community and stuff? Or is it, or language there? Is the, uh, what's the... No, both. The, or is late, like, not want to work? I mean... It, no, no. I mean, don't get me wrong. The teachers at UNRWA are, and I really believe the teachers who I worked with are your everyday heroes. You know, they're teachers who come to school. They're women from the community who come to school who work with really, really limited resources. There are no markers for the boards. There's no oh, okay. decorations on the walls. The teachers spend hours in the teacher's lounge cutting out paper flowers to put on the walls in their classroom. Um, they don't have enough textbooks. They don't have enough, really anything. And these women But what about so the, stu the students? How do they, how do I they do? The, I mean, the teachers do so much with so little. Yeah. Um, and the kids, too. Some really, really dedicated students um doing really interesting things um really interesting kids uh, i had a really good time and you um, were teaching all english yeah english i was teaching class. english was that did they how was their english um this is like high school age or middle school so the school itself was first through 10th grade mm. i stayed mostly with the high schoolers um some of them had great English, and they would all say, yeah, we watch American TV all the time. Yeah. I had a kid who okay, yeah, made me a candle out of a broken glass bottle, cool. and it was so cool, and she was so creative, and she was like, yeah, there's this art channel on YouTube I watch all the time, and it's great for my English. Um, so That's like, great. awesome. Good and for you. she learned it, too. <laughs> but That's then cool. there's a lot of, aside from those kids who make the effort outside of school, the English level was not great. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's got to be a whole world of change and whatnot. It but it's hectic, it's chaotic. The but it's so important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's amazing if you build a common thread that resource for them, you know, around the world, and especially because you Palestinians just a lot of times don't, you know, get the respect yeah. <laughs> they should in a lot of countries. No, absolutely. In the I would also say, as far as teaching in the region goes, I know that people have concerns about if you're, you know, a Westerner working here, are you actually doing good work? Are you putting your effort where it's needed are you doing something that a Jordanian could not do right like and I really feel strongly about teaching English at UNRWA that if I were not there nobody would be providing the same um, American well, accent English language instruction like the English teachers do a great job I was just providing extra help and supplementing the great job they're already doing um, but I certainly I don't know if that's true of all the Fulbright placements um, especially the university ones but working at UNRWA was really, really special. So did that end, or did you look to make a change? How did that go? It's one year. Okay. Um, and I couldn't, Fulbright's one year, and I couldn't have stayed if I wanted to, because um, UNRWA is local. The teachers are all local hire positions. Mm. I'm not a Palestinian who lives in Jordan, so I can't technically get hired directly by the school. Oh, right. Fulbright. Fulbright yeah, yeah. pays for it, and you're like a volunteer mm -hmm. for them. Okay. Yeah. So then you started looking for other opportunities. Mm hmm and how did yeah. you find uh, your current one? Um, it's kind Reclaim of childhood. <laughs> um, so when I was a volunteer with, um, or sorry, when I was studying abroad at the University of Jordan, I volunteered with Reclaim Childhood, and it was my favorite part of studying here. It was, oh, okay. the, kids, the kids were great, everything, it was like the, I went twice a week and it was the highlight of my week. So when I got back to Jordan, I tried to get in touch with Reclaim Childhood and ask if they were still doing programs um, so I could volunteer again. And the person who was the former director, Caitlin, was still in town, but now working at USAID. Oh, okay. um, And told me that the programs had unfortunately shut down after she left. So there were no more programs. Um, but she gave me a few phone numbers for people she had worked with pretty closely. Why they shut down? This is a couple, two years ago, a year ago, two years ago or something? Um, I still don't know. I think it was a combination of um, when Reclaim Childhood was founded, 
it had just a lot of... It was, was that kind of, in 2008? Is that right? 2008. Yeah, so it had been around. It's been around, but it was founded as a Davis project for peace, so it was given $10,000 to start. Um, I think since then, they never imagined it was a summer project. They never imagined it would then become a fall project and then a winter project and that there would be so much interest year-round. Right. So I think they were just running in and running on fumes by the end. There was never you know, a solid three or five year plan. So after Caitlin left, um, the program stopped, but the original founders, and actually um, the founder's younger brother, who's been critical and really involved um, since then, sat down and got together and thought, okay, how do we bring the program back in a way that it stays back? Right. Um, so. And I assume yeah. being adequately funded yes. is part of that, right? <laughs> <And> funding's <laughs> always the struggle, but yeah. it was how do we fund this? How do we fund um, a program director position? How do we fund, just have enough funding to get through the next, not just through the next year, but the next three to five years. Yeah. And... I got lucky, so I got these phone numbers from Caitlin of people she used to work with. I was here, in Jordan. local, local Jordanians. Yeah, I just wanted to. And she sports. was one of the. There's three. How many? Three founders, you said. Let me back up. And three she, founders who went to Williams. Right. Uh, Caitlin just worked for Reclaim Childhood as a director um, for two years. She went to McAllister College in the states. Oh, uh, but the founders were in the state back in the states. Okay. They all work in uh, finance now. Okay. With the exception of Molly, who um, works for ABC News in the Middle East. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. But yeah, Caitlin was here working for USAID. She used to work for Reclaim Childhood. Um, and really, I would gotten in contact with her to volunteer, but then I thought maybe she would have some access to some equipment for my students who have their, like, concrete schoolyard and nothing else. Yeah. Um, maybe I could get them some equipment. Maybe he, I'd be able to do some kind of programming for them. I didn't have a ton of spare time on the side of teaching, but I um, thought we could do something. And so Caitlin put me in touch with Molly, who is the, at the time was one of the Middle East correspondents for ABC News and one of the founders of Reclaim Childhood. And she said, if you really want to ask questions about Reclaim Childhood, equipment, etc., um, get in touch with Molly. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, well, Molly's in Jerusalem. So oh, I didn't okay. ac- actually end up meeting her until, I think, January, I want to say, okay. of 2016. Um, oh, yeah. I was visiting Jerusalem for a weekend, hit her up for coffee. Cool. But then, so then, how did the program? Yeah. So how did you come on board? Did you guys did you guys start fundraising again? Well, that's the next or? step. Is I thought I was meeting Molly to talk about maybe equipment for the kids, and we sat down at um, this Yemeni place in Jerusalem. And she was like, "So actually, have you considered um, working for Reclaim Childhood?" Right. <laughs> I was like, "I really hadn't. Honestly, that's not what I thought we were talking about." But I thought the idea was so cool. And you so, were, you were, your program had ended at that point with Umrah? It was January of 2016, so I still had four months left. Oh, okay. But you were trying to think, all right, if I yeah, want to like stay in the region, next? what else comes next? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we went from there. So we, yeah, we're fundraising for summer. We had to secure just really basic things for summer. I'm sure you know from Frisbee how hard it is to get the basics together, like a field, <laughs> like a bus, like um, Yeah, we don't food. have to use buses, luckily, <laughs> that well, very rarely. Yeah. But the field space is rare and it's expensive. And the whole Middle East, definitely in Jordan, yeah. No, right. Um, so to get kids playing, how do we find these very basic components of summer camp? Right. Um, so we spent most of the winter, spring of that year trying to get ready for summer camp. Um, and since summer camp, I've been on board full time. Oh, cool. And then is most of the funding coming from the states, from private mm-hmm. donors? or Okay. Most of or, the private donors, we've received now two grants from the U.S. Embassy in Amman. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. You have. That's awesome. And then other, any other, like USAID as well, or other uh, funding? You, you're, I assume you're applying for grants? We're like always that. applying. Yeah. It's tough. <laughs> it's, a, yeah. it's a lot of them out there, but a lot of competition. We're, we're applying right now for a Dutch embassy funding. Oh, cool. Across. Yeah. Okay. I know someone that works there. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it might be one of our ultimate people. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's cool. And then you have so you don't have to do any personal fundraising, or you help fundraise for the organization mm-hmm. when you're in the states or something. But that's not like your 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 core job is actually just running the operations. My core job is making sure the practices function on a day to day basis. So do the kids have water? Do the kids have snack? Do they have all the same kind of snacks so they don't fight over two different snacks? Um, <laughs> so the little, little the things little matter, things. you know? Yeah, they <laughs> yeah. really do. Um, are the buses paid? Are the buses on time? Yeah. Um, are the coaches paid? Are the coaches on time? The day-to-day that makes things run here. 
Um, and when I first saw all those things in my job description, I was like, there's no way this is, you know, a 40 hour a week job. I'm going right. to take yeah, care yeah. of the logistics once and then, you know, easy coasting for the rest of my time in Jordan. I'll be sleeping. I'll be doing whatever. <laughs> nope. Um, that's not how logistics work here. Yeah, it's constantly, yeah. Yep, I, pick, I plan that big tournament in the fall. Uh, right, and, I can only uh, imagine. <laughs> there's a lot more work than I expected as well. There's a lot of things. But, it, you know, it came yeah. together. So, um, no, and congrats, because I don't imagine that's an easy undertaking. She's, we're referring to the uh, the second annual MENA Club Championship, the Middle East North Africa, North Africa Ultimate Frisbee Championships, and we had 12 teams from the region come. Yeah. And, uh, it was a great first time event ever in November, and three Jordan teams, and then a team from Palestine, and we had uh, teams from Lebanon and Dubai, and it was all weekend event, and lots of expenses, and it worked out. Um, enough about that, but another <laughs> well, time. Just, I understand that logistics, so that's yeah. like a big part of my job. And I, I get it, I mean, I can identify yeah. with those things, yeah, for sure. Well, just playing so, with the kids is really rewarding, but that's maybe like 10% of what we do. Right. Another 90% is what you just described. All the advanced Calling the, gush- calling the buses, going to the field, you can't make a reservation online here or anything, so if <laughs> yeah. you want... A field reservation in Zarka, you better be going to Zarka, and you yeah. better be going there between 12 and 2, because that's when the field manager's there, and oh, it's right. just a lot of that. You better get a stamp, and then bring it back to Amman to get it stamped again, and then go back with your second stamp. Oh. So it's a lot of that, but it's all really rewarding once the kids have no idea what kind of stuff goes into it, but it's really rewarding. <laughs> kids once never do. Even yeah. in America or whatever, Europe, yeah. the kids never do. They never realize how, how much goes into advanced planning for their stuff, but here it's even more. Um, so what, um, so yeah, so, so then a little more about the programs. So how many, how often do you have sessions each week and how did you choose, uh, Zarka? How do you choose your locations and then choose your applicants and things like that? So we practice, um, twice a week in Amman, twice a week in Zarka for basketball, um, or soccer if that's the season or frisbee if that's the season. Um, and then we also run a few programs through community partners. So we have community partners that work on squash, uh, and that's really cool. That's not yeah. something I ever expected to be playing with the kids. Yeah, and, um, <laughs> oh, and, sk- and, and skateboarding. skateboarding. <laughs> that's my favorite Another one. I was looking one. at your pictures on Facebook. Oh, the kids have so much fun with the skateboards. They're yeah. really sold on skateboarding as a psychosocial tool, too, now, because the kids fall and they get back up. It's a literal fall and get back up. <sighs> it, it's impressive because, I mean, even I, I like... I'm a big snowboarder, but even skateboarding freaks me out a little bit. I mean, because it's so easy it. to break bones. <laughs> but your kids are tough. They're tough. Well, they just, and there is a skate park, which does there have is in a skate park, One skateboard. Yeah. I'm also just so happy about it. They're so happy about anything. Uh, they roll around sitting on the skateboards at first a lot, and they love that. They see no reason to progress to standing. Um, but we do have some really talented skateboarders, too, which is exciting. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. What, um, how, did you, um, how did you pick the locations? Um, so we picked Zarka. Um, the story behind that is simple. Our director of operations, Russell, is from Zarka. Mm. So her priority, actually, when we were starting up programs again, was to get something going in Zarka, and then maybe Amman. Um, okay. And my priority was always Amman. I always thought that would be easier. Right. Um, and I was surprised by, I mean, Russell's from Zarka. So starting up a program in Zarka, aside from the drive time, was really easy. She knew the field manager was her fourth grade teacher. She knew the bus drivers. They were friends of the family. Everything in Zarka was really easy to Wasta. set up. Big. That's what is. Tell wow. the world the Wasta. Yeah. <laughs> Nepotism? No. <laughs> no, like um, connections. Well, connections. nepotism is family, but it's like it's like every, yeah. Who's your family? It's connections. Family. It's family connections. Some, it's who do you know? Who do you know? It is its own, and it's yeah. its own. It's not. It's not a derogatory term or anything, but it's a. It's its own thing in this part of the world, you know, and it's you learn early on like that's very important for getting things done and getting through the red tape of things. And, and occasionally and it is negative because I always well, feel yeah. if we had Wasta, things would be so much easier. I mean, <laughs> that's okay. So in that respect, yeah, if you don't have it, you're jealous. <laughs> well, the runaround they gave us in Amman for securing field space, like, was so crazy, and it took weeks of follow up and running papers to different offices, to different people, to different Where's camps. Your, what field do you guys play? Uh, we play the gym in Salalali. It's indoors. Okay. Uh, for then, winter. Oh, okay. And then what about you? An outdoor field? In, um, uh, we're hoping to use the University of Jordan once it gets warm. Okay. Cool. But that's um, I've talked with them. That's difficult too. The there. thing is, yeah, if you knew someone, you know. Um, yeah. Well, there's, there's, I was always like the men's teams who use this gym in Talalali. There's no way they do the runaround that we do, mm-hmm. or they wouldn't be using it. Right. Or the University of Jordan. I'm sure that like the administrators 
if they wanted to use the field, it wouldn't be like this. Right. It's yeah. yeah there's hoops. Um, and and then how do you do the application process for for the for the kids for the for the girls? Um, that's it's all it's all girls. It's all girls. Course, yes. I um, mean, we do that because um, that's what makes the girls most comfortable. So we have there are other organizations here that do co-ed programs, and we think those are valuable. But we find that at a certain age, girls will stop coming if there are boys. Right. And they also won't wear what they want to wear if there are boys. When we are in an indoor gym and we shut the door, yeah. uh, the girls wear whatever they want. They'll look like it's, you know, a U.S. sports practice. I mean, I'm not saying anyone's running around in shorts and tank tops, but they can wear what they want athletically to feel comfortable. And that's right. not something they would do if there were boys around. Yeah, that's amazing. That, that in itself is really powerful to let yeah. women be with women and girls with girls and it's a different competitive and you know yeah I've heard that story many times and even when I I've, I've like uh, I've uh, substitute taught PE classes at schools with middle school kids and high school really? kids yeah. I, in this region yeah here ACS and then also ACS in Beirut too Ooh, um, okay. and I didn't tell you that yeah and I, and I substitute regular, regular classes too um, and yeah you see like the boys kind of take over and there are always a couple of tough girls but some of their girls don't like you know they're like oh the boys are too crazy or too, you know, and they, you know, they take over or they're too strong or they've been playing this game forever. So it's a huge advantage, you know, right. because their parents have them play it and their sister doesn't. Right. right. And I'm sure there's another so. element, which is a girl won't play in front of a boy, especially not at a oh, certain age. Um, because it's a religious of, thing. She might oh, really? look attractive to him. She might be demonstrating something in front of him. So for a girl, when she that's hits, like 13, like when yeah. you start covering, maybe. Yeah. When a girl, 13, when she hits puberty, like, she really won't play in front of a boy. Just... Really? Yeah. Interesting. That was true even of um, my students at school. They wouldn't do anything, any classroom movement activities, any singing activities if the janitor was in the hall um, or if there was a man nearby. Um, They're really, really conscious of that sort of thing. So it helps to have an all-women's space. Yeah. I I didn't realize it was to that level. That's interesting. So, and... um, what is it? Yeah. So, so how rare are these? Are there are there other girl, all girls programs that do sports like this? How how rare and how rare is it that girls play sports growing up? I mean, it sounds like. I mean, it's not common. Very uncommon. Not even for um, wealthier girls. I mean, wealthier girls might have access to um, a gym at their school to play in, which these girls don't, which our refugee girls don't. But it's just not as common for girls to play. Um, I know World Relief does an in-school program. Um, where they go into schools and work with girls' teams there, trying to establish girls' teams. But they face their own set of problems, and it does need to be all girls. So if you can't find a field space or you can't find a good field space, we um, last year got a great regulation-sized soccer field in Hashemish Valley um, that was huge. It was awesome. We were really excited. Um, ended up not having a women's bathroom, and they wouldn't let the girls use the men's bathroom. Mm. So our the little kids couldn't, you know, hold it for two hours at soccer practice and it was right on a main road so like cars would stop and guys would get out of the cars and like just linger at the amazing sight of some girls playing soccer Ugh. and we ended up being like hey, this that's is a- in a mod too yeah that's that was crazy. Hashmi um, and that's the kind of stuff you're dealing with I mean just kind of basic well yeah harassment and-, and well that's why girls don't play we ended up that's why we moved inside other than the weather um, being like, we want to play, this field's great, we love being on like a nice regulation turf field, but it's more important that the girls feel safe. Yeah. yeah. It definitely is a safe space, otherwise what's the mm-hmm. point, right? Yeah. So, um, How are we doing? We're doing great. <laughs> I'm getting super, um, and I'm eating carrots, hopefully it's not too loud. <laughs> carrots and hummus, I mean, you gotta, you it's gotta addictive, do it. yeah. Mm, I know. So, um, yeah, how do you find girls to apply how do you promote it um and how does that work with syrians and jordanians and palestinians and what's the balance like um, i think that was four questions in one so <laughs> no it's cool it. well <laughs> stop me if i don't answer any one of them but um so i'm not involved in participant recruitment that's actually the role of our staff oh nice so we hire um right now we have 11 uh young women on our staff um five in uh five in zarka six in Amman. Uh, they represent a whole range of nationalities. We have Syrian women, Iraqi women, Jordanian women, Palestinians, uh, one from Sudan and one from Egypt. Wow. And wow. their role is to go into their own communities and their own neighborhoods. Um, and they know their communities better than anyone, better than I ever would. Um, and so they know 
Um, our Iraqi coach from Jebel Hussein knows which Iraqis in Jebel Hussein um, really need this program. Um, which girls like really need an outlet? Really need an outlet. Yeah, and yeah. our Syrian coach in Marka knows which Syrians in Marka really need the program. And that's not to say that the Syrians can't bring Iraqis and vice versa or other nationalities, but our coaches know their own communities and we encourage them to draw from their communities. And that has the added and really important benefit of they know the parents. So parents who might be resistant to their girls playing sport or why is this bus taking my daughter somewhere? Mm -hmm. I don't know. How will I know she'll be safe? Um, well, the Syrian mom from Marka knows Reem and she trusts Reem. So mm -hmm. she knows that Reem will take care of her daughter. So that's like a key element of the it's whole thing. Super key. The staff is key. Um, and there have and been the trust the, factor with the, the trust parents. factor with the parents. The coaches are the first ones on and the last ones off the bus. There's never a girl alone on the bus with a bus driver. Mm. Um, and we trust our bus drivers. We love our bus drivers. But to leave, you know, a 13 year old alone with a male bus driver, we would never do it. And the right. parents know we would never do it. You pick yeah. up the kids at their houses. Is it the yeah. bus drives around in in like how big of a area do you draw from or allow from say in Amman? Um, each bus makes a maximum of three stops. There might be three stops in Marka, or a stop in Marka Shamalia, stop in Marka Janubia. Um, the Jebel Hussein bus rides with the Hashvi Shamali bus. We try to cluster. Um, we got lucky. We finally found um, a bus driver we really like who organizes a lot of this for us, and he knows the city. So the kids will maybe meet up yeah. at one of the girls' houses. A group of them will meet up there, you know, five minutes or ten or something. Yeah, or a landmark. Um, yeah. Say meet at the Onra school, meet at the Anabtawi sweet shop, meet at Hamlan Circle, huh. um, and those who are close enough will walk. Cool. And how many girls come to uh, to a given practice? Or um, between fifty and sixty, depending on the day. And, is, and they come twice a week each. They, twice a week each, yeah. Twice a week in Amman, twice a week in Zarka for basketball, and then we have a skateboarding and squash day. Oh, is that separate? It's separate, okay. yeah. And the, and it's and it's for just the two hour sessions. Mm -hmm. and, and now, is it always at night, or do you do it on the weekends as well? Um, we occasionally have weekends that we do in conjunction with community partners. So we do once a month at ACS at the American Community School. Yeah. Um, and their kids put on activities. We do month, once you do a month. do with their students? With or? their students, yeah. Their students do field days for our kids as like a form of community service. On their um, sports field and stuff. Mm -hmm. And they do really great things. Um, it'll usually be like the girls varsity basketball team volunteering to teach basketball skills. Yeah, and, that's awesome. Uh, I didn't know that. It's a lot of fun. That's we, great. Yeah. yeah, they got a good... I play... Uh, play a basketball over there sometimes, pick up ball with a lot of teachers, and then I play mm -hmm. hockey on our Fridays now, and friends of ours, yeah, we play street hockey every Friday. They play street hockey there? Yeah, we used, we used to play at the embassy, and uh, I've been playing that, actually, the first week I got here, I started playing, um, I found out about it randomly, I played ice hockey my whole life, it's my first sport, mm -hmm. so we play with the ball, and shoes, and then we have goalies with full goalie equipment, it's a lot of Canadian embassy guys, <laughs> um, but also some Americans, some, a bunch of ACS teachers, and then U.S. Embassy guys. But we, we left the embassy, and now we play at the ACS roof. And we have goalie. Who knew? Yeah. Yeah, it's super people. Are, we have some women that come play. Some field, and we have Jordanians that come play have never seen a hockey stick. And talk about, you yeah. know, the, picking up a sport. That you, like, hockey is very much its own thing, you know. So, right. Uh, but if you ever want to teach the kids hockey... Uh, we could do that they as well. They would love to learn. It's really, yeah, it's really yeah. fun. They have a bunch of sticks at the school, and then there's a bunch of goalie stuff on there. Well, let's talk about so that because the kids love really anything. Although yeah. I can see them whacking each other. <laughs> yeah, that's but the, yeah, that's the only. <laughs> Although the ones I think they have kids plastic sticks that are like soft dish plastic, so it wouldn't be too bad. Mm -hmm. We use wooden things. Right. Um, that's great. That ACS is a good school, so it's nice. So that's a nice outlet. So then they get yeah. some taught from people kids their age as well, and get to play with them and get you know mm -hmm. integrated. Um, and how, yeah, how impactful is this on, on the girls? Um, do they ever get to keep playing as they get older or does it inspire them to, to give back? I mean, what's like, what it, I guess kind of what's like the long, also long-term goal for these girls as well coming out of this program? Um, that's something we're actually really interested right now. Um, interested in right now, given that this is our first year of reboot of the program, um, so what metrics do we use to determine success? I mean, I look at the kids and I know that we're successful, but how do I prove that to you in numbers? Right. Um, we had a master's student with us last summer who did part of her thesis on our summer camp and came out with some really good numbers from her focus groups. From um, doing interviews with doing the Doing interviews girls with the girls, yeah. Paper surveys don't work well um, in that not all the kids um, can fully read and write, but then also those who can are confused that we're asking their opinion and then we'll circle like tens out of tens the whole way down. 
Right. Um, but the focus groups worked really well, and we learned a lot um, from Dominique's research. But then in terms of long-term outcomes for the kids, I mean, we're continuing to monitor them. Um, and opportunities to keep playing are something that I'm looking into right now and I'm really interested in. Playing in high school? Because most of them are going to, uh, what, high, like a local high school or a Palestinian high school, and that doesn't yeah. necessarily have sports for women? Yeah, it doesn't have sports for women. The schools don't have, you know, organized teams. Their schools don't. Or even space to play. Because of funding and, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I can speak to my own school. There was a blacktop where the kids, you know, played during lunch, but there was no equipment there. It was literally just an open concrete and a space. Soccer ball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Occasionally a soccer ball, yeah. you know. Um, so I'm really interested in opportunities for them to keep playing, especially because we see some really naturally talented kids. Yeah. I mean, they should all get to keep playing if they want to, but particularly for the ones who show promise, um, I would love for them to keep playing with a club team. Yeah. But it just, it doesn't exist. I asked around for people who would know, you know, the Jordan Athletics Federation. Yeah. Um, and they all say that Jordanian national teams are Jordanian national teams. You have to be Jordanian to play for them. Say, okay, well, how about some kind of like amateur club? There are no yeah. amateur clubs, but everything's sponsored by the Jordanian Athletic Federation. It's for Jordanians, and you need to be a Jordanian citizen. Huh. So, I mean, the, there aren't opportunities for refugee girls to begin with, or for girls, I mean, to begin with, but then for a refugee girl, you really can't do anything because none of these teams are open to them. Huh. And then you could have a club, like a golf and frisbee, that's more for adults. I mean, we do have, we have like, we have some high school kids that come, but that would be tough to integrate. I mean, or maybe we could try to do one, but mm-hmm. uh, when they get a little older, but there's not a lot of like pickup clubs like that no. with expats and locals playing together and, I mean, co-ed, and co-ed obviously frisbee's been really fun for our staff so we've been sending our staff to colin's um pick up ultimate it's not mine <laughs> i am part you are of a member there's of a committee i am the event coordinator on the mon ultimate <laughs> committee so i do help run some of the tournaments and events but yeah so and we play uh, pickup games once a week and now we have a league with tournaments and stuff so they they've been enjoying which it. is awesome yes yeah, so they were very, like, reticent at first because they kept saying, so this, these are the six young women who live in Amman. And this and other question is, have they, you know, the other thing is for them, do they get, have they played sports much before this? Have they had opportunities? No, um, so they're all naturally inclined towards athletics. Like, they all join Reclaim Childhood. We're not forcing them to play sports. They're all interested. Right. But, yeah, none of them are, um, like, lifelong athletes just because they haven't had opportunities. Right. Um, same as the kids. And the kids, the, the, the nice thing is that they haven't. Now they can volunteer, but their kids, because you guys are a new program, they have the kids, your kids, their kids have the opportunity. Right, But exactly. the cool thing with, maybe with Ultimate is they can also play with adults and get a chance to play with more people of their own you know, age and, and also maybe abilities or people that are, you know, better that have played the game for a while and can learn. One of the hard things one of, one of the hard things with sports is it's really good to learn sports from someone who's better than you. I mean who right. has played long, who has mm-hmm. wisdom. So I've you know, I've been playing Ultimate as an example since high school. Like they started a high school team in board school and so I've been playing for uh, at this point, you know, seventeen years. Uh, officially on teams, not you know, so like elite mm-hmm. league level, but I played college and then club teams and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. you know, leagues and yeah, all yeah. ultimate and other sports longer. But yeah. um, so I come here and there's Jordanians that are just learning what a frisbee is, or you know, you know, or maybe or other or even expats that played a little bit, and it's really we have all levels, and I love that. But it's really key to have people that can that have you know that know the game well, and that might be I imagine that may be hard with you guys. Do you have people that have played sports at a good level so if we can provide other opportunities for your trainers to learn the sports right. at a higher level that's then it can then it, then it like trickles down to the kids too well that's the most important yeah. thing and, um, and strategy yeah. and you know formations whatever all you know those kind of things so, yeah. well yeah that's really key what you hit on there because at least for basketball the kids are loving playing basketball right now but the coaches our staff <laughs> don't necessarily have the knowledge to right. bring the girl i mean they have you know the basics we taught them the basics but and ACS helps too by going ACS to ACS. ACS does help. Yeah, going but to school. On a, for a daily basketball practice for the kids who progress really quickly, in house we don't really have the skills to teach them, you know, more advanced stuff. Right. So for frisbee, it's really exciting that they're playing, that they're actually playing and actually learning the game. Right. Because then they will have those skills. Right. And they're all really, they're all natural athletes, all of them, um, maybe with one or two exceptions. So they pick things up really quickly and they really do enjoy it. That is awesome. Um, so cool. I love this because I love sports and I love like 
kids, <laughs> and, I, and especially with yeah. gender stuff. I mean, sporting girls right. is such a need, such a need in this part of the world. And mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you could say anywhere, but especially in this part of the world, you know, mm-hmm. girls in, in the West have been playing sports for a long time and had more mm-hmm. you know, opportunities. Um, so, what do you what do you hope for with your programs, the future of your programs? Like you said, you have like a three to five year pro plan. What are you hoping for? Um, we're lucky that our program, I think, is really scalable. What we do is really simple and works really well. And the only thing holding it back right now is funding. Mm-hmm. So if we had all the money in the world, we could do what we do in Amman and in Zarqa and in Irbid and in Mafraq and in Zadri. So your goal would be to expand so, in more communities all throughout Jordan. Yeah. And how, goal, many, how many girls now do you serve a year, would you say? like um, Close to 200. Okay. And then you obviously would want to expand that a lot. Yeah. Would you ever go to, go to other countries as well, or are there in the region, or is, is there enough? to be everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I'm sure other countries would bring their own set of challenges, but I know it's necessary. What we do is for sure necessary in Lebanon or in Palestine. Yeah, definitely. And you partner with other NGOs as well um, for programs too, or do you at all? Uh, here in Amman, yeah. yeah. Um, we mostly, so as far as I know, no one really does what we do. Um, but in terms of making our programs run, we partner with a number of local uh, community centers oh, okay. to get participants, for example, and sometimes we'll use meeting space from them or take referrals from them for staff and coaches. Oh, cool. Um, we partner uh, with the Center for Victims of Torture, um, and we go back and forth a lot on referrals, so we refer them a lot of cases, and they So these are uh, girls that you might, they might come your program and yeah, then so open up about issues at home or something? Or? Yeah, so CVT, um, they do really great work. Heard, they yeah, provide mental health and psychotherapy uh, for refugees, and not just victims of torture, but victims of, victims of um, intense trauma. Um, and they'll see a girl, maybe they'll have a 13, 14-year-old girl on their program who is doing better, but she doesn't leave the house ever. Yeah. So they yeah. think it would really help this girl if she were playing on the basketball team and yeah. meeting other girls her age yeah, and yeah. having a physical outlet. Yeah, um, totally. And we've seen amazing. a lot of, with the girls who come to us from CBT, we really do see a lot of progress. And I don't mean to pin it all on us because they are still going to therapy, but we see a lot of progress really quickly with the girls who come. They come and they're shy and they don't know anyone. And I can't think of any of them who don't have friends now, who don't play now. Um, they do really well. And then vice versa, we give them cases of girls who we think either need their help or extra help. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, the sports therapy side. I mean, I, we haven't even touched on that. There's so many <laughs> elements here. <laughs> um, so, so what do you think? I guess then for the larger scale um, of the Syria crisis and kind of humanitarian development and aid industries in the region and in Jordan, what do you hope for 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 this industry? You know, larger than just reclaim childhood in the next say five years. What do you think is going to happen? Well, the ideal is that. Well, what do I think is going to happen, or what do I wish would happen? Both. Yeah, yeah. What do you hope for is well, more fun. <laughs> at least for Reclaim Childhood, we've been accused of being, not accused, but of being a Band-Aid organization. So girls okay. playing sports doesn't get at the root, root, root of gender inequality in Jordan. Um, and to that, I would say, I think sports gets at the root more than you think it does. Getting girls out of the house, um, sports here are a traditionally male sphere. Um, getting girls to have the confidence to enter those spheres, getting girls to have the confidence to build team bonds, um, stand up for themselves, take leadership roles, all of that gets at the root. Um, And I would love to see sports be normalized all throughout Jordan and throughout the Middle East, such that it's not super weird when a girl is on the soccer field. Um, If it were very normal for a girl to be on the soccer field, then maybe we wouldn't have so much trouble reserving the soccer field. Um, And it's just a cycle that... And maybe the the way women are also treated and, and, Mm -hmm. you know... No, Absolutely deeper elements have you had have you had to deal with issues with uh with families and things or uh you know society construct you know restri- i don't want to get too much restrictions <laughs> on women i mean look there's a history of honor there's a strong yeah. history of honor killings for instance and in, in jordan that's a whole other discussion but I mean, i've heard it reported jordan is one of the highest rates in the world and you don't hear about it it's mainly outside of amman right but yeah, i've heard stories and i'm sure um you know, things like this would hopefully combat. I mean, those are very deeply traditional and yeah. family problems. But, you know, showing that girls can play sports and can have community be out 
you know, and, and, and it, it equalizes. I don't know. Is, yeah, is that I mean, a, is that something no, that you guys come across? Yeah, that all makes sense. The cool thing about what we do is that it's not political. Right. Um, everything at Monroe was always political, and it was really tiring. Yeah. But every clinic talk, what we do, it's not political. It's not favoring any one group or nationality. We just want the girls to play sports. Okay. And we generally don't come across people who say what you're doing is anti-Islam, what you're doing is not honorable, because we're all girls. You, can, right. you know, all bets are off when it's all girls. Yeah, it's um, interesting. That's funny. The one thing, they just want to make sure it really is all girls. Like, we've had parents say, really all girls? Even your staff? Yeah, even the staff. Even the management? Yes, even the management. And parents will want to come see that we're what we're doing really is all girls and that it's safe. Huh. But once they see, it's fine. Um, the only issue on that front that we would run into is we've had some older girls who, and by older I mean, you know, 15, 16, who get married and stop coming because oh. their new fiancés or new husbands are not okay with it for whatever reason. Huh. And that's, and you can't really do much at that point. No. But that's, they want to keep playing and then they're not really allowed to. Oh, that's frustrating. Yeah. Um, yeah, but um, anything else to add about the Sierra crisis and the kind of development industry here that you'd like to see, you'd hope for changing or you'd like to see happen? or I think it's something really important to me and what Reclaim Childhood does that really is led by the community. Because if you want to have a discussion more broadly about aid and what it does, um, I mean, certainly we would rather have aid than not have aid, but there are lots of ways to do aid wrong. Mm. Um, and to try and avoid that, I really want to make sure that our programs are led by the local staff as much as possible. Um, and that if I were to disappear tomorrow, that they would still be running it. Yeah. So it's so sustainable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's how we feel with Ultimate Frisbee Club yeah. as well. We're, you know, we have this committee and now we're over half uh, local. We started with more foreigners mm-hmm. and we've tried to replace ourselves with right. with, uh, with, <laughs> with Jordanians and, and we have some Iraqis on it as well. Um, whatnot. Um, then what is your opinion on the changing language, the priorities and kind of the budget issues from the West and with the new Trump, uh, you know, administration and that we don't have to go, you know, I don't want to make this too political, but like, how do you, well, how do you think that'll affect, you know, your work and the work in the country in general? Um, and will it, will that affect directly reclaim childhood, you know, potentially, um, and or or other organizations like you? What do you What are your feelings right now about about the the, the budget cuts to, you know? Yeah, I mean, no, <laughs> and the language. No. <laughs> the thing is, it affects everyone. I think here, I don't know if you found this, but here more so than back in the states, it really does affect everyone and everything around you. I mean, for us, this U.S. Embassy grant that we won to fund our summer camp is on hold now. Oh no! So, for this coming summer. Mm-hmm. So you so won like, the grant a couple months ago? We won the grant. They told us they intended to fund our summer camp. Um, and that they still hope to fund our summer cramp, camp, but that they're having issues. And they didn't go into detail on it, so I don't know exactly what the issue is. But, but it it's has on to hold do with, directly yeah. because of the because of the new administration. Yeah. Oh, that is so, so frustrating. For us, that's really frustrating. And how do you, I mean, can you yeah. fight back against that? I mean, yeah. no. What can we, yeah. The best idea we've had so far is to take our proposal corporate and say the U.S. Embassy intended to fund this, they can't. Can someone else pick up the slack? Yeah. Um, which is what we're working on. When will you find out? Uh, that's something the U.S. staff is working on Will now. you have to cancel the, the camp if you don't get it? Uh, I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> so, we're really, really hoping not. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's... So that, and that's direct. And what, how much, I mean, you don't have to tell us, but was it, was it a lot of money, or... or um... I mean, it was a, it was a small grant. It, Right. Classified as a small grant um, is the title of the program, but it was for ten thousand dollars. So right. for us, that's you know that's a whole summer for us. It's and that a is season. a drop in the bucket compared yeah. to <laughs> yep. anything else going on, and especially with increasing the military spending. I mean, you know how much we spend a lot of military spending is very important. Jordan as well support the military, right. but every like helicopter we send over here or something, you know, um, could pay for you know the thousands of programs like yours. You know, and I'm not exactly. saying that that's you know one is definitely necessary, but it's worth worth discussing those issues and discussing. I mean, I'm not a fan of increasing our military spending by what is it, thirty four percent? I mean, but you'll see. I'm sure you see in your work, even like the U.S. Embassy does a lot of really good work, just yeah. like English language access programs, the access yeah. program in particular. Uh, we went down to Tafila to look about at opening programming there, and our guide who showed us around spoke great English. 
um, said he had done lessons with the U.S. Embassy Access Program, um, and it really, soft diplomacy works. Yeah. Like, people just spoke really highly of the embassy, of the embassy And you can staff, see it in Jordan more yeah, than absolutely. any. There is such a respect for, for Western support and influence for the most part, and especially American. I mean, American Embassy and the programs mm-hmm. here in USAID. USAID is, I mean, incredibly involved in Jordan, and and it's it's that there's a reason Jordan's one of the most stable countries in the region, and um, and yeah, oh, I know. Yeah, I mean, like, I wish I we could fund people for the sake of funding people, but if we have to make an argument, it's that it works. It really does um, change public opinion about America. So, how can <laughs> do you, is there any way that organizations like yours can fight back against the? I mean, you can't fight against budget cuts, but you know, is there I guess marketing PR? Oh, that's my baby screaming. Can you hear all my other room? <laughs> we had so we had a member of our staff. The reason we're at eleven, our model is for five of the mom and five coaches in Zarka. Um, but we had a member of our staff who was supposed to go to America. She was supposed to travel in February to go. And she was being resettled. No, she's Syrian. That's amazing. And, well, it was she, amazing. She's still here. No. <laughs> oh, she, oh, Trump! I know. You're getting hit on all, all different levels. Hands, yeah. Really? So, she was all ready to go. And she then, was ready to go. Like she, a week before or something crazy? Yeah, and the worst thing was, the way we felt really bad is, we thought she was you know, traveling at the beginning of February, so we replaced her. And then she found out she wasn't traveling, and now all of a sudden she doesn't have a job, she's pulled the kids out of school, her husband doesn't have a job. We're like, I can't imagine these people who have given up everything because they think they're going, and then they're not. Um, <sighs> that breaks my heart. It broke our hearts for her, but what we did about it was we had we did do a big fundraising PR campaign. I put together some numbers for what it would cost to add her back to our team, um, and we fundraised that amount. That's awesome. We did awesome. a big Facebook push, and that was really cool. We gave yeah. one Syrian woman back her job, but I don't know how else we fight back against all that. Man. Wow. Um, man, where do you see yourself in five years? And, uh, you know, where else would you like to work, you know, in capacity and, you know, what will you, I I wrote, what will you miss most about this region? But that's assuming you leave. (laughs) Maybe what do you love most about this region and living here? What's been most, you know, impactful in your life? I miss um, the people, really. Um, There's a lot of things that get me down on a daily basis. And then when I get to practice and the kids are there and they're, the kids will solve anything. The kids will make everything better. And I'll really miss them. Um, where do I see myself in five years? That's <laughs> it. That's always the question, isn't it? Um, yeah. I'm aiming to head back at the end of this year to the States, oh, really? I hope, yeah. Okay, because you miss living in the States or work well, stuff? Well, I just, I mean, I've given this a lot of thought and I love what we do here, but I feel there's only so long I can tell refugee women what to do with their lives when American women, we have so much to do. Yeah. Know? My wife feels that way, especially with, um, I mean, we love living here and working, you know, working here, but she definitely feels the call, and I feel that way, too, about, you know, I think almost right now it's almost more important. I mean, it's not more important in the States, but there's a lot of things that need to be done, and especially affecting the government. I mean, we, we think a lot about maternity and family leave, um, and, you know, paid yeah. maternity leave, and, and uh, you know, maternal health, and women's rights, women's issues, and states, exactly. and refugee resettlement, fighting for refugees, and fighting for the budget, and organizations right. and and telling people about you know the Middle East <laughs> in, a, in a positive way and no, letting, for sure and that's why I'm doing this thing you know I mean I really do believe there's good work to be done everywhere there's good work to be done yeah. here there's good work to be done in DC there's good work to be done in New York I had a roommate who lived with me who moved to Afghanistan and there's good work to be done there too um, and I don't mean to say that one form is right better or worse than the other but you feel kind of called right now exactly yeah. yeah. No, that's great. And and then you can always come back here and so you're now looking at options to find your kind of replacement and make sure the organization keeps keeps running. Replacement is found. That's taken care of. Yep. For the program director. Mm-hmm. The local woman or or expat? Um expat woman uh, for my job. The director, the operations director position is ongoing. Um same woman. We'll keep it. Oh, that's awesome. Well, uh, man, I've learned a lot. This is really, really interesting. Um, anything else you'd like to tell the listeners out there about Reclaim Childhood or about Jordan or about yourself or a word, a word of wisdom? Oh, um, anything? 
Well, I was going to say come play frisbee with us. <laughs> <laughs> and come volunteer, I guess. Yeah, you, you accept volunteers, uh, well, on certain things, right? Women, ideally. Need to be women, yeah. actually, but yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing I was going to ask is, if do you have any uh, um, personal stories? You have already told some today, so. Um, but is there anything else you like think of one touching story that really affected you with one of your girls or with dealing with people in Jordan that might expound on, say, what it's like to live here or like with your organization, like one thing that really, um, or a, a thing of, a story of change of a girl. I don't even know where to start. There's so many. Too many. <laughs> all the time. The one I told my mom that she told, tells everyone. Okay, and all her okay this now, is good. Yeah, what is, what is the is, um, So we have um, these two sisters who were referred to us by CVT. They're Iraqi. CVT is? See, the Center for Victims of Torture. Centers um, Centers they're not torture. Christian. They're not Muslim. They are an Iraqi minority religion. Um, they struggle to communicate with the other girls sometimes because... Their Arabic's a little different. I think they speak a different language at home anyway. Um, and when they first started playing with us, so if you've played with Arab children, you know um, they're super affectionate. I get to practice and the girls are running at me. They want hugs. They want to be picked up. They want to be spun around. They want to hug the other girls. They're really affectionate kids, and that's something I love. I feel like I would get sued in the States for the amount I pick up kids and spin them around. <laughs> um, but... These two girls, um, I guess I probably shouldn't say their names to a recording, but um, were just, they got to practice and they were freaked out by the amount of affection and they wouldn't come near anyone and the younger sister in particular like wouldn't stand in the stretching circle because she was afraid that someone would touch her and she would jump if you like came anywhere near her. She was just clearly like very skittish. Um, and her mom came once to practice and Russell, our operations director, had a chat with her and the mom without going into too much detail, said it was just her and her two girls, and their father had been killed in Iraq in front of them, and they hadn't been the same since. Um. So we have these two girls, and we are all like, you know, haram. Like, okay, well, we'll do the best we can by them. Explain, explain haram. Uh, like, <laughs> <laughs> just like forbidden by Islam. I don't mean to use it in a slang way, but you say it to me, and like, how dare that? happen like how could anyone let that happen right. um yeah. but the breakthrough for the little sister was actually at skateboarding she was trying to figure out how to do the big hill she loved the skateboard she was rolling around on it but she wanted to do the big hill and in the skate she, park, in the skate in park. The, yeah so she kept going up to the top and sitting on the skateboard and freaking out and coming back down because it was too big a drop and then one day after sitting at the top of the hill for a while, she tapped one of the instructors and she was like, I want to do the hill. And we we're like, you know, you can't do that alone. You're going to need to hold his hand and she doesn't touch anyone. Um, and she said, no, I want to do it. So she takes his hand and she goes down the hill. And I was like, she's holding his hand. I was so happy for her. And she tried it once or twice. And then after holding his hand a couple times, she did it on her own. And she was ecstatic. She did it. She didn't fall. She leapt off the skateboard and then immediately like, jump hugged me she was so happy i was like she's touching me she's hugging me <laughs> That's amazing. she's so happy and she yeah. loves she just lights up with her skateboard and to see a kid like that go from like being afraid to be near anyone to so confident on her skateboard and interacting with staff in that way was so cool that is awesome man i love that story well, great. Well, keep us up to date on how the program's going, and we'll help promote it. We'll put a link um, to your Facebook page and website and uh, donating a page on our on our link here. And um, I just wish you the best with, uh, with yeah. your childhood. Thank you, Colin. Thanks for everything Jordan. you're doing. Hey, you know, just trying to spread the word and help people learn about Jordan and about what's going on <laughs> over here. And so, thank you. Thank you, Maddie. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate it. <laughs> That's awesome.